Welcome to episode 39. Do you yourself know someone with cancer? Or maybe you yourself have had the unfortunate experience of cancer? This episode is purposefully designed to help you understand how cancer works so that should you have to face this horrible situation, you will feel more knowledgeable, familiar and empowered about the future and the steps to take moving forward. All right, let's get into it. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. Hey, what's up, my healthy friends? How you doing? Welcome to another episode. I'm super excited to be here. As always, I'm just always an excited guy. I realize I say that every single week, but I'm always excited. <laughs> All right. So, although I sound super sprightly, uh, today's topic is pretty heavy. So, we're talking about the big C word and depending which, uh, I guess, mode of medicine you subscribe to, the C word means something different to everybody, but we're talking about cancer today, okay? And it's really pertinent because we live in a world where the statistics are absolutely horrendous. You know, we're, we're at one in three, at least here in Australia, uh, the statistics on the ACRF website. Um, and for those that don't know, I'm a scientist at the ACRF. <laughs> so, uh, we work in a hospital here in Melbourne and yeah, the statistics are frightening. So, Almost one in three, we're rocketing towards one in two, and it's just super scary. Like, one in two, that's like 50% of the people you see during the day, you know? And I mean, for me, it's it's most of them. But um, I want to share some information on the big C word because, and I'm taking this presentation that I've done before to groups of people on multiple occasions called Understanding the Science of Cancer. Uh, I'm pretty much taking it and adapting it to a podcast episode. So, it'll be much shorter than it would otherwise be, but the idea is that we're going to get the same information across and, and hopefully by the end of it, you will feel like you know what's going on. Now, before I dive into it, of course, as always, you'll hear it on the back of this episode, but it's not, not medical advice, of course. This is just for informational purposes only. Got to be super careful with that stuff in the cancer space. Big Pharma runs the world. You know how it is. Um, so, the goals today are for us to understand more about cancer, understand a little bit about genetics, and of course, what can we do to improve our overall health outcomes in life, ideally to delay or prevent the onset of cancer, right? So, let's we'll start with a general term. So, the word cancer, I like to associate with the word car in describing it. And what I mean by that is that the word car includes every make and model of car of every different size that's ever been made, right? So, the word cancer is the same. It's an umbrella term like the word car that includes lots of different diseases. And those diseases, just like those cars, have lots of different components and variables like a car, different cars will have different water pumps and different, uh, uh, I almost said nutrient requirements then, but I meant oil requirements, which you would translate to cells requiring different nutrients. Or most cars have water pumps, whereas nowadays we have electric cars, but they're still cars, right? So, when people say, why haven't they got the answer to cancer yet? It's because the word cancer is just an overarching umbrella term that includes lots of different diseases that have lots of different variables and facets to them. So, the thing though that characterizes cancer is in regards to the way that our cells grow. So, cancer is when your cells have abnormal growth or they grow out of control, right? So, the body has uh, mechanisms in place, immune system mechanisms that cleans up our cells, any of these cells. And it's actually normal to have a bunch of different cancer cells running around your body every single day. The body effectively cleans these up most of the time, okay? When these 
rogue cells get out of control. The problem is when the body's immune system doesn't detect it or it just can't keep up with the with the rapid proliferation or growth of these cells. And, and what we call that is a lack of cell death. So, the cell death process is called apoptosis. That's programmed cell death. So, all the cells in our body have that programmed into our DNA. Of course, if that DNA is not changed, and I'll talk about that in a little bit, the apoptotic pathway is damaged or those genes are damaged and therefore apoptosis does not occur and these cells go on creating more cells and more cells and more cells and they just grow on and on and on and become a tumour or fill up the blood, you know, in the cases of like lymphoma or leukaemia. So, that's what happens. And of course, we know that cancer does not, does not distinguish between whether you're black, you're white, you're yellow, you're green, you're tall, you're handsome, you're ugly, you're fat, you're thin, it doesn't at all. Although, having said that, there can be correlations between different precursors. And what I mean by that is that lots of people that end up getting cancer have lots of the same red flags earlier on in life that they either ignore or can't keep up with or can't manage or uh, or maybe they've just they're one of the unfortunate ones that have a genetic problem so whilst cancer doesn't discriminate there are lots of red flags that tie lots of different cancer patients and different groups of cancer patients together that they either ignored or were not treated correctly so when does cancer happen when on the scale of our lives. So, cancer happens at a median age in Australia, at least, and it wouldn't be too different in most parts of the world, at a medium age of median age of 66 years old. Now, why is it 66 years old? Now, you can look at this two ways. You can look at it from the fact that the human body is so super impressive that given our toxic realities and our cancer-causing agents that exist everywhere in our realities, our bodies are able to fight it off for up to 66 years. That's super impressive. I I like to look at it that way. I am so impressed by the human body. There's so many things that we do to our body that are toxic, damaging, and harmful. The fact that on on an average, or about an average, on the median age, it's 66 years before it deteriorates to cancer, that's incredible. The body's incredible that it can do that for so long, fight it for so long, plus all the red flags that were popping up previous to actually getting that cancer diagnosis. And so, the other way that you can look at it is that, which is up for discussion, let's say, um, is that humans, you know, are getting old and we all start to die and that because at the age of 66, we're starting to age, that we are invariably going to, of course, get cancer or get whichever disease that will take us to the grave in the, in the way that any of us will normally die, okay? So, there's two ways to look at it. I prefer to think that about it that it's super impressive that the body can last that long, which is why if you live a healthy life, you can push that out, or at least many people have the ability to push that out because it's not all genetic. We'll get into that in a minute. Of course, cancer can happen anywhere in the body. That's why I was saying earlier in the definition that cancer is an umbrella term that contains lots of different diseases within that. And that's why cancer can happen anywhere in the body and it can look like a whole heap of different things. In regards to physical symptoms, though, there is a stage called monitoring that I just want to touch on because this is something that drives me a bit nuts. So, with physical symptoms, you can rock up to the hospital and get Maybe you found a lump or whatever in, in wherever part of your body and you'll go in and you'll get some scans and it'll be like, yep, it'll be confirmed through you know the scans, blood tests, different things. Yes, you've got some carcinogenic material or some tumorous mass in one of your organs. And 
that's that's fine. That's great. We've detected it very early. But often this stage called monitoring is that it's been detected so early that they can't do anything about it. Okay, it's so small or it's so uh, kind of irrelevant to the body's biology at that point in time that they can't do anything. So, you go into this phase called monitoring. Now, I've had a number of my clients that are in the monitoring, my personal clients that are in the monitoring phase. Why is that? Because you think, or at least I would think, if I was told I had cancer, but it was too small to do anything about and given no information, I would want to know what I can do to actually make that, albeit small amount of material, I want to make that stuff go away. But the idea of the monitoring phase is that they say, come back in six months and we'll check it again. Effectively, just asking you to wait until it grows big enough until we can plug you into the system. Now, obviously, that is my very pessimistic view on the system. And that's my personal opinion. But there should be some type of intervention for people on monitoring. And it has to come from the causation, the diet and lifestyle, because it's too small to throw pharmaceuticals or chemotherapy at or do surgery. So, how, can we, how else can we make it go away? By changing the things that caused it. So, that's just a little gripe of mine. It's a personal opinion about the monitoring phase. I really think there needs to be some kind of um, protocol or structure in there that helps people go from monitoring back down to no cancer at all, rather than just waiting until it's big enough to be a problem. Anyway. Continuing on, what does cancer look like? Well, yeah, as we said, we can get it. I can't really show you what it looks like, obviously, but you know, it's not hard to do a Google search. It can be found in your bowel. It can be found in your lungs. Is probably the most well-known one from smoking. That 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 information's been smashed around the television and radio and internet for decades and decades. Um, you know, skin cancer is massive in Australia. We all spend a lot of time in the sun. But again, depending which medical group or perspective you that you subscribe to, you know, it's arguable whether the sun is the thing that causes the cancer or not. But that's a conversation for another day. Um, but yeah, it can happen absolutely anywhere and f- present in the form of all sorts of symptoms and all sorts of different things. And it's important to get checked out. The good thing about going to the hospital or going to the doctor is that Western medicine is incredibly good at um, providing diagnostic tools to look at these things. It's, it's, the main, it's the main thing when it comes to Western medicine. So, they put a lot of resources into it. Now, I want to just touch on what makes cancer so complex from a medical perspective, okay? Because this is... I just want to. I just want to give you a rough estimate, okay? I wish you could see this because I don't know if I mentioned, but I'm adapting this from a presentation that I usually present in person. So I'm trying to talk through the visuals. There's lots of visuals. Uh, I've got the slideshow here. Maybe I should put this on YouTube and do the slides as well. Could be an idea. Let me know what you think. Um, anyway, so this is just to give you an idea of the theoretical size of the potential problems and outcomes. So. Using we've um, basing I'm basing this information from a yeast cell, so it's just one single yeast cell. So the body has so many different components, and every cell has thousands and thousands of different structures and compounds and molecules in them, right? So in a yeast cell, on average, there's about 90 million to 100 million proteins per cell, on average. Just a small amount, <laughs> just 90 to 140 million, right? So, the average is about 11.5 million proteins per human cell, okay? So, that was a yeast cell, but for a human cell, the average is about 11.5 million proteins. Now, the genes that code for proteins, 
per cell. So there's about 20,000 to 25,000 genes that do the coding to code our DNA to produce proteins in the human cell. So the average is 22,500 genes that are coding. Coding DNA to do all the bodily functions that produce all of the information that goes into the protein that does all the jobs in the human body, right? So, I'm just taking a couple of averages. So, we've got the average amount of proteins, which is 11.5 million proteins per human cell, and the average amount of genes per person, which is 22,500 that are doing the work. So, these are the genes code for the proteins. So, 11.5 million proteins times 22,500 genes. Do you know what that number comes out to? Do you know what that number comes out to be? It comes out to be 258 billion 750 million. That is the number. Just to give you some understanding, I'm comparing the genes. I'm timesing the genes by the proteins to get the theoretical number of things that can go wrong in a single cell, in just one cell. And the average human has about 37 trillion cells. So, this is why Cancer is so complex because that's the, that's the trajectory that Western medicine looks at the problem. We look at the cells and the genes and we look at what has gone wrong. And that's why there's so many different diseases because everybody in Western medicine, all the textbooks and all the research looks at individual proteins and individual genes. And that's why this is an endless pit an absolutely endless pit of research because when you have 37 trillion cells in the human body and something can go, can go wrong 258 billion, 750 million times, where, does, where is the end of that rabbit hole? Is there light at the end of the tunnel at all? So, I'm going to stop overwhelming you because that number is insane and I hope that mathematics made sense. It's just genetics timesed by proteins to equal a potential amount of things that can go wrong. So, numbers and maths is over. Take a breath. <sighs> so, what causes cancer? Now, this is, uh, this is the big one. This is the stuff we partake in, right? The biggest one is going to be cigarettes. That's the most common one that people know because marketing for that has been around for a long time and research for that has been around for a long time. But not only is it cigarette smoking, it's also your emotions. The emotions you feel, high cortisol levels in the blood, okay? Uh, pharmaceutical drugs, popping pills all the time and pumping your bloodstream full of unnatural chemicals can contribute to the damage of your cells. Remember, any unnatural substance in the body is treated by the body as a toxin. It doesn't matter where it came from. It doesn't matter whether it came from the venom of a snake or, you know, or the poison of a mushroom, poisonous mushroom or whether it came from a pharmaceutical drug or whether you just ate, ate a piece of leather that you shouldn't have. The body, <laughs> the body treats... I just saw a leather couch, by the way, so that's why, where that came from. But the body treats it all as a toxin, and therefore, it's damaging to our biology. Of course, the big one that you know that's coming is food, terrible food, terrible food and beverage, okay? Again, the body treats it all the same. It's all a toxin. Um, there's the sun as well, which, you know, skin cancer is massive in Australia. Again, I'll We'll do another episode on skin cancer because there's some pretty interesting opinions bouncing between Western medicine and, say, naturopathic medicine and traditional Chinese medicine about the sun's function in cancer. We'll talk about that on another day. Um, 
What else have we got? We've got disease and infection, of course, can lead to all sorts of negative outcomes. Sometimes you just get shitty luck and you catch the wrong thing. Remember, cancer is not contagious, but the infections that damage your system to the point that you can then develop cancer is what I'm talking about. And also genetics. Okay, bad genetics. So... So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating, and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. I'm going to go further into this bad genetics conversation because that's kind of my jam usually. Um, Have you ever said, and I usually do this in a room and get people to put their hands up or stand up, but have you ever said anything like this? It's in my family or my mum has it so I'll get it or I have bad genes or I have bad luck so... You know, of course, I'm going to get cancer or I've been tested and I have whichever type of gene. And the most popular one in the media is the BRCA1 gene. People go and get tested for the BRCA1 gene and they say, I've got it. So, I'm going to get cancer. Now, the truth is, and I've quoted these statistics before on the podcast about genetics. And I think it was on my genetics episode. Um, And it's from the World Health Organization website. And less than all cancers are 5% gen... Less than 5% of all cancers are genetically based. And the highest number, that 5%, is actually in breast cancer. Okay, The others are much below 5%. And it actually takes a group of genes to go wrong. It's not just one gene that goes bad. In the very unfortunate genetic circumstances, which I've just highlighted to you, are very few... But most people to get cancer need a lot of things to go wrong. You know, we're talking 5, 10, 15 genes to to be damaged or degraded or corrupt in order for cancer to become proliferative to the point that it's uncontrollable. So, cancers aren't all inherited, right? It's not all genetic. As I just said, it's less than 5%. But what is inherited is diets and lifestyles, the way you live, the way you process your emotions that you learnt from, say, your parents that aren't good at processing emotions, the way that you eat food, the, you know, the, the lack of fasting that people have in their diets so their gut doesn't get any time to repair. All of these things are inherited habits from our parental figures or our family homes, right? That is what is inherited. It's very rarely cancer genetics that are inherited. 
So just to give you a quick summary, and I think I've done this one on the podcast before too, um, just talking about DNA genetics and epigenetics. So DNA are the components that build our genes and our genetics. The genes and genetics themselves are the blueprint or the instruction booklet for the body. So they make the proteins. And the epigenetics is the gene plus the environment. So it's how the gene is interacted with by the environment. Now, epigenetics is where it is at. It used to be thought that genetics was um, all there was, DNA. DNA, reading DNA, but then we learnt that genes get turned on and off depending what we put into the cell, right? So, if you put healthy food in, healthy genes get turned on. If you put toxic food in, toxic genes get turned on and the body's always in defence, right? So, epigenetics is what you need to understand and I highly recommend going to check out my epigenetics, my DNA genetics and epigenetics episode to get a deeper understanding on that. But basically, it goes DNA, genetics, epigenetics. In other words, parts, function, how that function occurs. Think IKEA furniture. Um, you, you buy it in its boxes. You buy the bits of wood that are boxed up. Right now, it's useless. It's just DNA. It's just information. Then you build that bed and now it's a bed. So, it's genetic information. The gen- genetic information reads out and says it's a bed. <laughs> but it's not until we get to epigenetics or how that function occurs does the bed even matter, right? So, What do I mean? Well, if you never lie on the bed, then the genetic information about the bed doesn't matter. Does that make sense? So, if you have cancer genetics, but you never behave in a way or eat in a way or live in a way to turn those genes on, then the fact you had a predisposition to them doesn't matter, right? So, if you never lie on the bed, if you never sleep in the bed, it doesn't matter. But if you do, it's about how you do it, okay? You've got to do it in the best interest of your body. So, cancer, so genetics and epigenetics, uh, gene regulation switches. They on and off, on and off, on and off, all the time, all the time. And diversity in our diet and lifestyle will aid this. The more diversity we have, different genes on, different genes off, rather than just slimming ourselves down to the short few, the small pile of genes that we turn on and off each day because we have such limited lifestyles and diets. To give you an example of what I mean by a gene going on and off. This is what happens to your body when you eat chili or spicy food, right? So, there's the capsaicin molecule goes into your cells and it turns on the TRPV1 protein. And that is an interaction that happens between the, the, the cell and the capsaicin molecule. And it's actually a defense mechanism by the body which result, then results in sweating, potentially for you can increase temperature or it could be something like, you know, busting to go to the toilet because your body has switched on its defense systems because chili can be seen as an intruder. Um, it's really good for immune function, by the way, because it clears you out like this. Um, we'll do another chili episode to go in depth on that. But that's just one example. So, the TRPV1 protein interacts with the capsaicin molecule, which comes from the peppers or the hot chili, and that turns a response on, okay? And when the capsaicin molecule has disappeared from the cell and it's been metabolized, what happens then? Well, it's absent. So, therefore, the TRPV1 protein or the gene that makes it switches off, okay? Basic example, super basic example. So, we've got to flick the switch. Um, What's the thing that flicks the switch in the bad way? So, The thing that flicks the switch in the bad way is cellular oxidation and free radicals. And free radicals are produced as a natural byproduct of glucose metabolization, um, glucose metabolism, and um, 
and all sorts of different functions in the body produce these free radicals. And the, of, of course, the worse the things are that we put in our body, therefore the worse the free radical exposure is going to be. Now, free radicals are like the guy at the party who is way too drunk at nine o'clock. Everyone's got their shit together and he's walking around and falling on things and smashing glasses and virtually everything he touches just is damaged or broken. So that's what a free radical is like inside your cell. It's just, it's radical. It's behaving radically. It's just hitting your genetics. It's biting, biting a piece out of your genetics and just damaging this organelle and damaging the cell wall. And our cells, with the more, the more toxic that we live and behave, the more of these free radicals are in ourselves, just being the drunk guy at the party, just smashing bits to pieces, right? So, a very, very low level of these is an important part of immune function. But for the most part, we consume diets and lifestyles in abundance of toxicity, right? So, therefore, we've got way too many of these free radicals in our cells. Um, So, these are a big cause of cancer over time though, over time. It's not like you just eat a donut and it happens. It's an accumulative effect. These free radicals just build up in number and number and it goes on and on and on and on and on. And then you've all of a sudden got a bazillion free radicals in your body and no surprise that it's taken you 20 or 30 years to, to damage your DNA enough to the point where you now have cancer, okay? So, um, that's that's just a quick overview of free radicals. I'll do another episode on that too. I'm trying to smash through this to get it all into this episode. So, they say you can't put an old head on young shoulders. And I say, that's bullshit because we live in the age of the internet. And we, all the listeners to this podcast should have a growth mindset so we can actually make positive change. And how do we do that? We do that by having a healthy diet and lifestyle. Surprise! Surprise that that was going to be the outcome, right? And there's a bunch of different things that you can include in that. There's, you know, you've heard me talk about turmeric and ginger, and I'll talk about therapeutic agents in regards to diet and cancer at a, a later date. Um, there's, you know, over 6,000 studies have been done on, on turmeric, and 2,000 of those are actually in cancer. And there's a ton of stuff that turmeric does. Black, you need black pepper to up the absorption of turmeric by up to up to two thousand percent in some cases. It's pretty crazy. So always have your turmeric with black pepper. But anyway, it's good for really good for cancer. And of course, ginger is another one that I always talk about in regards to cancer because of the six shagol molecule. Now, again, I'm just doing a quick overview, just trying to squeeze this content in to this episode. Ginger was a couple of years ago compared in a study with a chemotherapy drug called Taxol, and it was found to be 10,000 times more effective. 10,000! I'm actually not kidding. You can go and check it out. It's insane. Anyway, I'm not talking about therapeutic agents today, just cancer overview. Um, now, food and cancer. Um, well... Now, there are many different foods that we can eat to assist the body in preventing cancer. But, And I highly recommend there's a book if you are suffering currently. There's a book called Cancer Free with Food by Liana Werner Gray. She's actually an Aussie. She um, cured herself. Um, she's young. She was in her 20s, I think, when she cured herself with diet from cancer. Super interesting uh, book. She's released a few books and I highly recommend go and check her out. But the big question of today that I, I guess want to answer is... You know, with the median age being at 66, what do we all want to do, right? We all want to feel good and we also want to have a good life. So, although we've gone over the science of it and understanding the genetics, I hope that that information so far has empowered you to realize, oh, okay, the genetics that turn on and off are in my hands. And the things that I put in my body or the thoughts that I think or the behaviors that I behave 
affect my DNA and I am responsible for that. I am responsible for that. Now, I'm not suggesting for a second that this eliminates the outcome completely, but it puts the tools into your hand to make positive change. Now, the idea is with the age being 66 that it that we rocket towards and we're all worried now. Nowadays, it's just like a subscription. It's like, oh, you know, so-and-so got cancer and everybody kind of hangs their head. Like, oh, well, that's it. That's another one bites the dust. Or if you get a cancer diagnosis and you're unfamiliar with health, nutrition, this space of medicine at all, and I, I, I fully acknowledge my bias because I am fortunate enough to know enough to know what to do, which is exactly why this podcast exists because I'm trying to communicate that to you guys. But the point is, we don't have to respond that way and we don't have to create these lives for ourselves because if we put the right food in and we behave the right way for as long as possible, the goal is not to deprive yourself your whole life of of donuts. The goal is to make that baseline, your health baseline, as good as possible. Because the distance between your baseline and the day you get cancer depends on that baseline. And if you die of old age first, awesome. That's what we all want, right? (laughs) We want to die of natural causes. So, the idea is to push that number out from 66 or whatever it has been for a loved one of yours or you is to push that number out from 66 to 160 by increasing or improving rather the, the baseline that you rest upon. And what do I mean by that? I mean by starting to make small healthy changes so you can reduce the amount of toxic things that go into your body so you can reduce the amount of free radicals that buzz around your body so you can therefore reduce the amount of DNA damage or cellular damage that happens because the more that's reduced, the longer until the damage is bad enough to result in cancer. So... This has been a super good episode and I love you guys heaps and I hope this makes sense. I hope this makes sense. I've realized I've jam-packed this. I've done this presentation. Um, It's usually one in person and two, it usually takes me at least, it's at least a 50-minute presentation. Um, I've I've presented this talk uh, with a lot more detail. to at supplement companies and different companies over the course of 90 minutes. So, I realize we're squishing it in today. But if you want to hear more about cancer and this type of thing, please send me a message on social media, write it in the reviews on the podcast. I'd be super grateful if you could do that. But I just want you guys to understand that you can raise the level and improve the level of your baseline to the delay the onset or even prevent fingers crossed, the onset of cancer or any disease. And the healthier you are, don't be nihilistic about it because the healthier you, even if you end up getting cancer, the healthier you are, the longer you delayed its onset. So, the more good days you had, okay? So, even those young people out there, I'm only 30 and, you know, my people might be like, ah, worry about that when I'm 50. A lot of these things accumulate over many years, many, many years. And the longer that you're healthy for means the longer until you have that dreadful doctor's appointment. And with the way the statistics are going, it really is a scary time to be alive. So, be one of the few people that are not part of those statistics and join me in being one of my healthy friends. Anyway, guys, I'm going to wrap this one up. I appreciate you being here so much. On that note, I'm actually going to go to work now at the Cancer Hospital. And um, as always, 
I will catch you guys on the next episode. Love your heaps and be good. Be good to yourself. Love yourself. Eat good food. I'm just in a good vibe right now. Um, anyway, guys, I'll catch you later. Bye. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use. And we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much and I'll see you on the next episode. Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavour to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.